Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Well, today we're starting in a new sermon series, and we're starting the book of Genesis. And I know uh, if you're new to Potter's House, this is kind of what we do. We take a book of the Bible at a time. We work through it um, basically verse by verse, chunk by chunk, um, and see what God has for us in it. Um, I know the running jokes are taking bets on how long this is going to take us um, to get through Genesis. So... uh, uh, to give you some, some context, uh, anybody remember how long we were in John? No. 67 weeks, so just, just over a year. Um, glad it seemed like eternity to you guys, um, which actually isn't our longest. Anybody remember what our longest is? Maybe some of you guys have been, been here for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Philemon, (laughs) it was Luke. We were in Luke for 100 sermons. So, um, yeah, so that was a while back um, that we were were in Luke for a while. Uh, So, anybody want to guess how long it's going to take us to get through Genesis? Context, John's, what, 21 chapters? Genesis is 50 chapters? Um, Yeah, so how long are you guys thinking? Yeah, Three, four years. Well, a big difference is, John, we would, like, one verse has a lot to cover, right? And in, in Genesis, there's a lot more stories, so we'll, we'll cover bigger chunks at a time. But uh, to uh, affect your, your guess, um, we're starting off today only covering four words. Um, so we're going to just cover the first four words of Genesis today. Um, but they are very important and very pregnant words that I think has a lot for us to dig into. And Genesis 1-1 starts with this, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. That's what we're looking at today, is the Bible starts with just this expression of, in the beginning, there was one who was there. There's one who's there from the beginning, and it's this, this being called God. There's a... Um, a theory that I've heard um, that I want us to test out as we go through Genesis, and it's that every major theological concept in the Bible is first introduced in Genesis. Um, And so you have your introduction um, to every major theological concept in the Bible um, in the book of Genesis. So I want us to test that out as we go through, see see how that holds up. Um, But today we're digging into a major one, and that is the theological concept of God himself. Theology, theos, God, ology, study. Theology is the study of God. So in and of itself, when we talk about theology, we're talking about this. We're talking about God. And today's message is a little different. Um, We're going to, I've been doing a lot of research for today's message, and you're going to hear from a lot of different theologians, um, uh, most of them dead, uh, and most of them wrote in very, fancy words 
And you're like, whoa, that sounds way better than what Wayne says. Um, and so I know a lot of you like to, when we throw things on the screen, like to snap a picture with your phone so you can like, oh, I want to remember that later. Have your phones out because we're going to have a lot of those today. So, um, so it starts with in the beginning, God. And so we're looking at this concept of God, who God is. What is he like? Who is this being that was there before everything was created? Um, and so as we look at this, let's, let's jump in. And we're going to have five points today, okay? And I'm just going to give these to you up front so you can kind of know where we're going and when we're getting there, okay? The importance of thinking about God is number one. Second, the importance of knowing that God is is number two. Three, the importance of knowing what God is. Number four, the importance of knowing who God is. And five, the importance of knowing God. Okay? Um, And so that's where we're going today. And it starts out, first, we're looking at the importance of thinking about God. Uh, A.W. Tozer has said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So think about that for a while. And then your brain will hurt. See, my hope and my desire today is that, and honestly with every sermon, is that when I preach, that we'll bring glory to God by using our minds. That we'll glorify God by our minds are engaged, our minds are thinking through what does his word say? What is, what is the truth about him? What is the truth about these things? And so today, if, you're, if your mind is engaged, then we, we have won. We, it's been a success. We have brought glory to God. Also, if today, if your mind starts to think and you're like, that's confusing, that is bringing glory to God. If your mind starts to think and you're like, I don't know if I agree with that, great. That's bringing glory to God because your mind is engaged in your thinking and you're wrestling with these things, okay? Also, with that thought in mind, I want to tell you over the next three weeks, my goal is to cover um, the first two chapters of Genesis. There's a lot that comes up in here when we get into creation and those kind of things and different theories and things that Christians have relating to this. Uh, So my plan is um, to do this week, we're just looking at who God is, right? And we're, we're, we're digging into that. But in the next two weeks, looking at creation and how God created. And then the week after that, I want to reserve that for a clearing things up week, okay? And, uh, and so I want you guys to ask me questions. So if something comes up out of today, if it comes up out of the next two weeks, I want you to say, hey, I'm not sure about that. I don't understand that well enough. Shoot me an email um, and say like, hey, Wayne, what about this? And, uh, and so in three weeks from today, I'm planning on doing an answer your question Sunday. Um, but I would like to have the questions up front um, so that I can prepare to answer them. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, as we cover this stuff, if questions come up, jot it down, shoot it to me, um, and we'll have a week where we can, can dig into those things. But further on this, this topic of using our minds, uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, there is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity It is a subject so vast that our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. 
No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. And so that's what we're, we're trying to do today, is we want to see, yes, our minds humbled before the, the, the throne of a holy and mighty God, but also for our minds to be expanded as we think about these things and as we wrestle with these things. And so are you open to that today? Well, just the very idea of God is something that, that is, I believe is just kind of ingrained in mankind. We're, we're left naturally seeking a God um, just because of um, the way things are. Um, there are philosophers who have spent their entire careers thinking of these things and writing about these things separate from the Bible, separate from God's word. And they've come up with different arguments for uh, why we should believe that God exists, why we should believe there is a God. Um, There's the cosmological argument. It basically says that everything in the universe has a cause. And so it stands to reason that the universe itself has a cause, and God is that cause. He is the uncaused cause. All right? You guys got that? The uncaused cause? Nothing causes God. God didn't come from anything. He didn't, nobody made God. God is. He is the uncaused one, but he caused everything else. And so when we look at everything around us, everything is cause and effect. And it all goes back to one starting place, and that starting place is God himself. There's the teleological argument, um, and this argument is that the universe appears to be designed with a purpose, showing that it was designed by an intelligent being. So what we see around us shows the, the, the fact that there was intelligence that went into being the way that it is. And so God is that intelligent being. Um, the ontological argument, and that's the argument that it said this way, my philosophy professor in university would be very mad if I didn't phrase it this way. That than which no greater being can be conceived. So so God is that than which no greater being can be conceived. So the greatest being that could possibly be thought of, make it even better. And that's who God is. All right, so you can think about that for a while. So how, how great could God be? Well, then he could be even better and even better than that. And eventually you get to who God is. All right, fourth one. This is my last of these. So if you're getting bored, it's okay. The moral argument. So we are made with an ingrained idea of justice. We long to see right rewarded and wrong punished. Right? Like that's just mankind. We want to see evil punished. We want to see good happen and be rewarded. Um, And so it stands to reason that this was ingrained in us by a creator who made us this way because he himself is a moral God. So that's all good and well and all from philosophy. Um, But the, the thing is, is when we look It's great to have all of that, but what's even better is if God himself revealed himself to us and he told us what he's like and he told us these things. And the great thing is he has in his word. He's revealed himself to us. He showed us how he is and how he works. 
Um, and so what does scripture say about this? And this takes us into the second point, the importance of knowing that God is. So as we're talking about the importance of knowing that God is, we can look at Romans 1. And in Romans 1, Paul lays out um, a big argument, but part of that argument is in verse 19 and 20, he says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. And so what Paul is saying is, is hey, the, the very creation itself screams, there's a creator. He made it all. Yesterday, as I was working on, on this sermon, um, I was up in the bush uh, sitting on top of a mountain uh, in my truck because it's cold up there right now. Um, and so I was just sitting there in my truck on top of a mountain, and I can just see for what seems like forever from where I was. Uh, to give you some perspective, from the mountain I was on top of, I could see all the way to where the windmills are um, up by the connector. And those windmills are about this big on the horizon. Um, and so I could see all the way across there and just this vastness um, and a beautiful sky and all the different mountains um, off in the distance. And I just look at that and say, how, how can anyone see this and not believe that an intelligent, creative being made all of this. He put it all together in a way that it screams, I am here. I am God. Um, David said it this way in Psalm 19.1. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. What we see, what's around us, we look at it and we say, yes, there is a God. There has to be a God. There has to be intelligence behind all of this. Psalm 14.1 takes a little more of the negative approach, but the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abdominal deeds. There's none who does good. And so according to scripture, if you claim there is no God, you're a fool. And so when someone starts an intellectual argument with that position, I encourage you, you're listening to a fool. So, take that with however you will. Wayne Grudem has said it this way. For those who are correctly evaluating the evidence, everything in scripture and everything in nature proves clearly that God exists and that he is the powerful and wise creator that scripture describes him to be. All of it, when properly measured, all points to God, a creator behind it all. And that's where we start right here in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. So we've covered that, that he exists by the way, you're getting like the equivalent of like a whole seminary course all in one sermon this morning. So you're welcome. <laughs> so we've covered that he exists. Now let's move on to number three, the importance of knowing what he is. So he exists, but what is he? Now this is a su tough subject to tackle because the fact is we're dependent on God to even know the answer to this. We're at his mercy to understand him as he has revealed himself. Um, A.W. Tozer said it this way, what is God like? 
If by that question we mean what is God like in himself, there is no answer. If we mean what has God disclosed about himself that the reverent reason can comprehend, there is, I believe, an answer both full and satisfying. For while the name of God is secret and his essential nature incomprehensible, he is condescending. He, in condescending love, has by revelation declared certain things to be true about himself. These are called his attributes. So what he's saying there is he's saying is, we want to understand God? Good luck. Like he dwells in unapproachable light. He's far beyond us. Like the, the, the state that we're made in his image, but the state of his being is so far beyond us. And so what we can understand about him is limited and is, is dependent on what he has revealed about himself to us. So theologians have spent pages and pages of books outlining what these attributes are, these things that we can know about him, that he's described himself as, that he's shown himself to us to be. And we could have a sermon on each of these, but we know God to be this. We know him to be spirit. We know him to be invisible. We know him to be wise. We know him to be all-knowing. We know him to be truthful, faithful, good, love, mercy, full of grace, patient, holy, full of peace, righteous, jealous, wrathful, all-powerful, ever-present, free, sovereign, perfect, blessed, full of beauty, and glorious. Do you have anything to add? We could go on. The Westminster Shorter Catechism defines God this way. Who is God? God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's a pretty good definition of who God is. Bruce has been waiting for months now for me to give you a J.I. Packer quote in a sermon. Uh, He's been waiting with great anticipation. So here you go, Bruce. J.I. Packer says this. Created things have a beginning and an ending, but not so their creator. The answer to the child's question, who made God? Anybody ever heard that? A kid asked that? It's simple. That God did not need to be made, for he was always there. He exists forever, and he is always the same. He does not grow older. His life does not wax or wane. He does not gain new powers nor lose those that he once had. He does not mature or develop. He does not get stronger or weaker or wiser. As time goes by, he cannot change for the better, wrote A.W. Pink, for he is already perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. That's who God is. So God has no origin. He just is. And how does he refer to himself in scripture? At the burning bush when Moses says, hey, who should I say sent me? What does he say? I am. My, one of my professors uh, in seminary told me that what's translated there as I am in Hebrew can really be translated as I am that which I always have been and always will continue to be. So even in his name, he's just stating, I am. I am the being that is here. From eternity past to eternity future, I am. The great I am. 
God is. He's unchanging in what he is, and he is perfect in what he is. Now, it almost seems wrong to refer to such a mighty and powerful being as, with such a simple pronoun as he. Yet, I, I've been doing that. So how can I use these personal pronouns for such a being? That leads us to number four, the importance of knowing who God is. See, it's one thing to know things about God. It's quite another thing to know who he is. Packer said this as well. How slow we are to believe in God as God. Sovereign, all-seeing, and almighty. How little we make of the majesty of our Lord and Savior Christ. And so what he, he's saying there is, yes, this God in Genesis 1.1 is the eternal God who through scripture we see that he's revealed as one God eternally existing in three persons. He eternally exists as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The first person, second person, and third person of the Trinity. And I know as we wrestle with this, it can kind of blow our minds. A few weeks back, our men's group was uh, wrestling with this subject and I could see that on some of the guys' faces it looked like the gears were just about to pop out their ears as they were trying to think through this. But is God one? Yes. Are there three persons? Yes. How can that be? God is. He is. He is the I am. The math doesn't compute in our mind. But here's my best explanation. There's one God, because how do we differentiate different things? By their differences, right? So like me and Lyndon, how do you, how do you know that Lyndon's not me and I'm not Lyndon? Because we're different. We're complete, many, many ways different, right? Like, yeah, you don't want me drumming, right? Like that would be bad. So we're very different people. But with God, we, we have different attributes from each other. But with God, when we talk about all three persons of the Trinity, all three persons fully encapsulate every single attribute of God. So when you talk about God being all-powerful, for there to be a difference between the three, there'd have to be a difference in the level of power between the three, but there's not. When we talk about God being loving, for there to be a difference between the three, there'd have to be a difference in the level of love between the three, but there's not. They're infinitely loving to the X number as you can, far infinity as you can make of love. And in all of God's attributes, he is fully that. So much so that he is one. He is one being in that. One in essence, three in persons. And every kind of analogy that we come up with for the Trinity fails at some point. It either will overemphasize the oneness or it will overemphasize the threeness. Right? Um, it falls apart at some point any way that you go. So the, my best encouragement to you is not try to oversimplify it. Bring glory to God by letting your brain hurt by thinking about it. Because... Because yes, while it's, it is right to say that all three are fully God and 100% and all of, all of the attributes of God, it's also right to say 
that God the Son is the one who died on the cross. And while God the Son died on the cross, God the Father poured out his wrath on him. We also see at at Jesus' baptism, we see the Son being baptized, the Spirit descending as a dove, and the Father speaking from heaven. So we see all three separate in that situation, yet all three are together and united as one. Right here in Genesis, we're looking at creation, and throughout Scripture, it talks about God the Father creating the earth. It talks about God the Son creating the earth. It talks about God the Holy Spirit creating the earth. It talks about all three doing this job. When it comes to the fact that Jesus, our, the sinless sacrifice who died on that cross, rose again, his resurrection, Scripture gives credit to the resurrection to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three involved in Jesus rising from the dead. And so, yes, while, while there are three persons to the Trinity, there is one God. And this is who he's revealed himself to be. But even beyond that, and even probably what's bigger than that, is the fact that he, Jesus did die on the cross. And you know why he died on that cross? So that we could know God. Not just know about God, but know him personally. Know him as our Lord and Savior Be reunited to him for the purpose that we were created for. That takes us to our fifth point, the importance of knowing God. Packer, again, I'm just filling you up, Bruce. Packer, and this must be our attitude too. Our aim in studying the Godhead must be to know God himself better. Our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance, not simply with the doctrine of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. As he is the subject of our study and our helper in it, so he must himself be the end of it. We must seek in studying God to be led to God. It was for this purpose that revelation was given, and it is to this use that we must put it. This is the point. You can spend all day reading books. You can spend all day listening to sermons. You can podcast yourself till you're deaf. But if all that you're putting in isn't fueling your mind to fuel your heart to love God more, then it's useless. And so as we think about God, as we think about the fact that in the beginning, God, we can think about one that is possible for us to know through the power of his son dying on a cross and rising again, through the power of his Holy Spirit coming from the son, the third person of the Trinity coming and dwelling within us to lead us and guide us into communion with the father. This God, the God of Genesis 1-1, the one who's preexistent, the one who is over everything, the uncaused cause is one that we can know, that we can know personally. And this is through Jesus Christ. And Jesus said it this way, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. He's the only way. So I encourage you today, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know the Father? Do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you know God? My last Packer quote for you. 
What were we made for? To know God. This was our purpose. This is why God created us. This is his design. Jesus prayed for us this way in his high priestly prayer. John 17, 3, he says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus said, this is the purpose. This is why I'm here. I'm here so that they can know you, Father. So I ask you, do you know him? Because we saw here how the Bible starts, in the beginning, God. But you want to know how it ends? Revelation twenty two twenty says this. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In the beginning, God. In the end, amen, come Lord Jesus. Are you ready for that day? Let's pray together. I'm gonna close in prayer with a prayer from A.W. Tozer. He says this, Lord, how great is our dilemma. In thy presence, silence best becomes us. But love inflames our hearts and constrains us to speak. Were we to hold our peace, the stones would cry out. Yet if we speak, what shall we say? Teach us to know that we cannot know. Faith support us where reason fails. And we shall think because we believe. Not in order that we may believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself?